uh, at this point, and um, sort of adding to it this uh, multiplication of, uh, of crises. Uh, the recent NESC report identified no less than five different crises, and it didn't include uh, a pension crisis. So I'm, uh, I'm sort of even adding to that list. But uh, at this point, uh, sort of to get heard uh, with all the uh, sort of the crisis talk, I have to uh, throw my hat into the ring with sort of a crisis of my own. So I'm going to assume that uh, you're all uh, familiar uh, with the basic features uh, of the Irish pensions system, but just to emphasize a couple of features that would be particularly relevant, uh, so, uh, uh, and here I'm looking at it from a policy perspective, uh, so uh, from a public policy perspective, there are really two main elements. Uh, there is a flat rate social welfare pension uh, that's currently uh, €230.30, uh, uh, that's the uh, contributory uh, social welfare pension. Uh, it's largely uh, unfunded um, uh, and really uh, from an economics point of view, it's very relevant that it's, that it's pure tax uh, in the sense that uh, additional contributions don't lead to additional benefits. So really the first sort of big thing to, to note that is that Ireland uh, uh, is very different uh, to other countries uh, in that really almost alone in the OECD uh, it doesn't have uh, an earnings-related uh, state pension or a, sort of a, 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 a mandatory uh, a, a private pension. Uh, uh, in terms of encouraging uh, uh, private pension provision, the other main plank uh, of policy is to have uh, tax-favored uh, voluntary supplemental uh, pensions. Uh, and you're all very familiar with this, uh, there's tax relief at the marginal rate, something of course that the Commission of Taxation has been looking at. Uh, uh, these are sort of currently predominantly uh, occupational defined benefit pensions, about two-thirds of them, uh, but there is a major sort of shift uh, towards uh, defined uh, contribution pensions. So that's just, uh, just a little bit of the, the background. But in terms of these, these crises, uh, I'm going to really identify two different uh, crises, uh, a slow-burning crisis that's been going on uh, for quite some time, uh, and then uh, how things have really been brought to a head uh, with the recent sort of economic and, and, and financial crisis. Um, in terms of the slow-burning uh, crisis, uh, the three main elements, uh, one, the very low replacement rates in the Irish system, certainly compared to other countries, but even with uh, uh, relatively low uh, replacement rates, we still face sort of escalating costs uh, uh, due to population aging, uh, and then there is inadequate and very insecure uh, supplementary coverage. So just to sort of show uh, some sort of basic facts on these, uh, here's just a comparison of uh, replacement rates uh, at average income as defined by the OECD across countries. And you can see here that Ireland sort of stands out uh, uh, as really towards the bottom uh, of the league uh, with a replacement rate of uh, 34%. Of course, since it's a flat rate pension, uh, those replacement rates uh, sort of drop as incomes increase. Uh, so uh, at twice average earnings, uh, the replacement rate is only uh, 17%. Um, so, uh, and that uh, is lower than, than any other country in the OECD. So the first sort of issue uh, is that if we just look at the, uh, at the state pension, uh, it only uh, uh, provides just a fraction uh, of the income needs people want to sort of sustain living standards in retirement. Uh, it just provides a fraction of the income that they're going to need. Uh, on the other hand, even with this uh, relatively limited uh, pension, uh, the, we're still facing uh, 
sort of rapidly escalating costs. And of course, this is due to population aging, which in turn is mainly due uh, to uh, sort of rising longevity, which of course is very good news, uh, something that Colin emphasized in his own uh, paper on pensions uh, at, the, at the last conference. What you see here, just looking at the elderly uh, dependency ratio, uh, uh, it's basically tripling uh, as we sort of reach uh, mid-century. Uh, so at the moment, they sort of roughly six workers for every retiree. Uh, that's going to uh, sort of fall to about uh, two workers uh, per retiree uh, by uh, uh, the middle of the century, uh, with of course huge implications uh, for the cost of providing pensions. And I'll show you some figures on that uh, a little bit later. Uh, so sort of the third element that I mentioned is sort of inadequate uh, private provision. So uh, uh, sort of, uh, based uh, on the National Household Survey, and you can see uh, that sort of roughly 55% sort of uh, of workers uh, have uh, uh, supplementary coverage, uh, either an occupational pension or uh, private pension uh, coverage. Um, the bigger problem, I think, even than the uh, uh, lack of, uh, of full coverage, is that uh, even those with coverage are often just not saving enough, not contributing enough to their uh, pensions, and this is particularly a problem because of the shift uh, towards uh, defined contribution uh, pensions. Uh, so, uh, so we know uh, that uh, the contributions that have been made are just not going to be enough uh, to sustain uh, living standards uh, in retirement. Uh, so where did the reform debate stand then uh, circa uh, 2007? Uh, so there's sort of three, uh, I think, uh, things that really stand out as being sort of targets at that point in time. Uh, so first of all, there was uh, the target of sort of raising uh, the flat rate benefits. So uh, uh, the program for government at the time uh, set a target to raise it to 300 uh, euro by 2012. Uh, second, so, so that really was meant to at least sort of partly deal uh, with the adequacy issue, still very much remaining this flat rate um, uh, design uh, for the state pension. Uh, second of all, to deal with the, uh, the, the cost issue, uh, the, the idea was to sort of pre-fund uh, part of those costs uh, by the National Pension uh, uh, Reserve Fund. Uh, that was the only one that ever get kind of a small way in actually uh, meeting those costs, uh, but it was at least a, um, a sort of definite response uh, to the fact that the pensions were going to become uh, uh, much more costly as the population aged. I think the third major place where the debate stood uh, at that point was the sort of drawing uh, on lessons from behavioral economics, uh, both in terms of sort of learning uh, from the SSIA experience, which was uh, uh, sort of a successful uh, design uh, of a savings program. I don't think it was particularly informed from the lessons of behavioral economics, but uh, it, it, uh, it showed partly by, by accident uh, how uh, to design a successful uh, savings program. Uh, and also, uh, there was sort of international lessons being learned, uh, particularly the use of the, sort of the soft mandatory model. Uh, so just in, in terms of those uh, sort of three elements, uh, here is a graph just showing how the flat rate benefit has been uh, increased uh, over the last uh, 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 number of years, since 2002. So you see steady as uh, a progression in the nominal flat rate benefit. And here you see the, the, the target that was being set uh, by 2012. Uh, but of course, uh, the combination of making the flat rate benefit more generous and 
uh, this problem of population aging uh, meant that uh, pensions were going to become substantially more expensive uh, as we sort of uh, move out over the uh, next number of decades. So this is a graph taken uh, from the annual report of the Na uh, National Pension Reserve Fund Commission uh, and shows both the, sort of the overall cost of state pensions, uh, both the social welfare pensions uh, and the public service pensions. And you can see that sort of growing rapidly again, in this case, more than tripling uh, to, uh, in terms of the, of the share of GDP, and close to 14% uh, of GDP, uh, something like 16% uh, of GNP. So, sort of massive uh, increase in costs. So, again, we have this sort of odd combination uh, of relatively austere uh, pensions becoming a little bit more generous, uh, but because of this population problem, uh, uh, this uh, really uh, ever more binding uh, uh, long-term fiscal constraint as we sort of move out over time. So in terms of uh, dealing with that, uh, as I said, the National Pension Reserve Fund was put in place uh, to at least partially pre-fund uh, these pensions. Uh, so this looks at it uh, as it stood at about 2000, uh, the end of 2007, where things uh, looked uh, still fairly positive. So there was a uh, sort of balance uh, at that time of about 13.8% of GDP. Uh, so this is just looks at a potential uh, sort of evolution of the fund uh, uh, as it might have looked uh, from uh, 2007. Uh, so uh, we're assuming uh, that 1% of GNP is added uh, to the fund each year. Uh, here I'm assuming that it gets a 4% real uh, uh, rate of return. Uh, I'm assuming um, uh, so the growth rates for the economy uh, sort of out at least uh, to 2020 uh, from the SRI's medium term review and then uh, 2.8% from, from that point on. And also, just to see uh, how much of the, the pension cost that the fund might uh, actually uh, be able to um, uh, cover, uh, I'm, just, I'm just showing you how the fund would evolve if there was a drawdown uh, of 1% of GNP uh, between 2025 and 2030, 2% of GNP uh, from 2031 to 2040, uh, and 3.1% of, uh, of GNP excuse me, from 2041 uh, 2055. Uh, so you can see that these, this is not an, uh, a particularly large fraction of the cost that would have been covered uh, before uh, the fund was uh, essentially exhausted. We would then have the 1% of GNP uh, could be sort of reallocated to funding pensions on an ongoing basis from that point on. But it went some of the way, uh, certainly sort of took the edge off the increasing cost, uh, but still, uh, uh, given the uh, increasing cost that we just saw from the last graph, uh, you can see uh, that still, because of population and the existing generosity of the system, uh, that there's, uh, 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 there's a serious sort of long-run uh, cost issue. Uh, in terms, then, of the sort of that third element, uh, sort of drawing on behavioral economics, uh, I already mentioned the SSIAs, but as we sort of look around the world, we're seeing other countries now really sort of using uh, the lessons of behavioral economics to sort of design certain choice architecture around savings and pensions programs. Uh, in order to uh, encourage people to save at a more uh, fiscal cost. And so one uh, example that's received a, a very large amount of attention uh, is the uh, Kiwi Saver program. Uh, and here, the, 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 uh, the outstanding sort of innovation here uh, is the use of defaults. Uh, so it becomes a default uh, when uh, uh, somebody starts a new job uh, with a certain uh, sort of fraction of their uh, earnings will be put into a savings plan, partly matched by the government, also matched by employers. And we see sort of a lot of success 
uh, in these uh, kind of designs, sort of use of ch choice architecture around savings programs and, and actually getting people to save. Uh, and so you can actually get sort of more savings potentially uh, at lower fiscal cost because you may not have to have as generous uh, fiscal incentives to bring about the savings. So I think this is sort of where things uh, sort of stood uh, just a couple of years ago uh, in the um, uh, pensions debate. And we certainly see in the green paper all these uh, uh, themes uh, being hit. And I think that there was uh, uh, clearly uh, momentum uh, behind introducing some sort of soft mandatory uh, system uh, along the lines of the key, key saver program, or maybe even sort of the full mandatory system. Of course, we're still waiting uh, for, the, uh, for, the, for the white paper, but, but uh, I really want to emphasize now that sort of things uh, have changed. And I'm going to uh, uh, focus on three things that, that, that have changed uh, that sort of relate uh, to, to what I've been talking about already. Uh, one is that the economic crisis has led to substantial uh, unintended increase uh, in, the, uh, in the real benefit, uh, the real uh, social welfare pension benefit. Uh, I'm also going to uh, stress that there's actually been an intensification of the long-term fiscal constraints uh, uh, due to uh, population aging uh, and also a major hit to pension assets. So again, let's just go kind of straight to some, some numbers uh, to see how this might work. Uh, so uh, here we see the increase in the real flat rate benefit measured in 2008 crisis um, uh, under different scenarios. Uh, so if the inflation rate had been 3.1%, which was sort of anticipated uh, at the time uh, that uh, the, the pension recession in 2009, uh, in, in budget 2009, uh, you can see, uh, not surprisingly, that the overall uh, uh, increase in the real benefit would have been, would have been zero. Uh, on the other hand, uh, because it, uh, uh, inflation uh, turned out to be substantially lower than was anticipated, uh, there has been a, uh, an increase in the real benefit. Now, it depends uh, on what uh, uh, inflation measure that you take uh, to see how big that, uh, uh, that unintended increase in the real benefit has been. So if we use the CPI, uh, 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 where the projected inflation rate between uh, 2008 and 2009 uh, is 4.3%, uh, uh, you can see that the increase in the real benefit would have been quite large uh, 1735 uh, per week. On the other hand, if we can see HICP, uh, we can see the increases uh, uh, at 933 per, per week. Uh, but still, uh, these are uh, sort of substantial increases uh, in the real benefit. Uh, and these are unintended uh, increases in the real benefit. Now, on the one hand, it's hard to sort of begrudge uh, sort of pensioners uh, uh, these increases. They're not sort of a huge uh, um, amount of money. Uh, uh, but on the other hand, it seems a very strange way uh, to make policy um, that just because the inflation rate uh, turns out to, uh, uh, to be different from what was anticipated, uh, you get these uh, sort of, uh, very uh, large changes uh, in uh, the, the generosity uh, of the benefits. So as we sort of think about how the crisis has changed uh, the whole environment of our pensions policy, we sort of have to start uh, really with the, the generosity of the flat rate uh, benefit itself. The second thing that has happened is that the um, the, the long-term fiscal constraint itself uh, has, I think, uh, very much changed. And one of the things, uh, sort of the most sort of obvious thing to point to, 
uh, is what's happened to the National Pension Reserve Fund. Uh, so here we see uh, both the cumulative contributions since the beginning of the fund and also uh, the fund value itself. And essentially the entire sort of uh, financial markets returns have been sort of uh, wiped out. Uh, and that had happened eventually early in 2008. And so you go back just with the, uh, the contributions uh, themselves. Um, of course, that's not all that's happened with the National Pension Reserve Fund. I think it has been sort of undermined uh, more fundamentally uh, than that uh, as a result of being now, I think, absolutely thoroughly politicized and uh, of, uh, sort of much uh, more doubtful value as we look forward in time uh, in terms of thinking about whether those funds will be actually available uh, uh, to, to sort of help fund pensions. So now there are sort of directed investments where the Minister for Finance is basically telling uh, uh, what investments that uh, uh, need to get made, uh, and particularly investments uh, sort of in the banks. So I think we're now, um, uh, in, in terms of as we look forward, uh, I think that the National Pension Reserve Fund is because of its, its lower value uh, and really lower credibility. Uh, it has uh, a very different sort of impact in terms of the uh, sort of that long run uh, fiscal situation. But probably even sort of more important than this. Uh, of the fact that now, because of sort of the, the sort of the, the, the collapse in, in, in property taxes, uh, property-related taxes, there have been big increases in, in sort of marginal uh, income taxes. So the base that we're starting from, as we sort of look forward in time and see the taxes that, that have to uh, uh, increase in order to uh, fund these pension costs, um, because we're starting uh, from a much higher marginal tax rate, the additional distortions associated with those additional taxes are higher. Uh, so in the sense that, that long-term fiscal constraint uh, sort of binds uh, uh, even more. And also because we're now starting with a larger debt than we, uh, uh, than we would have had back in 2007, substantially so. Again, it's, it's changing its starting position. So in addition to the unintended increase uh, in the flat rate benefit, um, uh, at least uh, in, in, in real terms, uh, we have a very different uh, long-term financial constraint. Uh, so the third element is that, uh, from the point of view of uh, um, uh, private sector pensions, uh, they really have uh, uh, been uh, sort of decimated uh, over, uh, since the beginning of the crisis. This really just brings the story up to the end of uh, 2008. Uh, to, this year, of course, has been sort of an up and down year, with, uh, certainly some sort of recovery uh, early on and then sort of falling back sort of more recently. But you see here that Ireland sort of stands out uh, in terms of the, uh, the, uh, uh, the it's very large negative real return uh, on pension fund assets, and this is affecting uh, both uh, defined benefit uh, plans and uh, people's defined uh, contribution uh, 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 pensions. So, uh, so we see sort of along all sort of, uh, uh, sort of parts of the, the pension system uh, that the, the the recent crisis has really sort of changed things. So the question is sort of what should we do from here? Um, uh, how do we sort of recalibrate uh, uh, the, the pension reform strategy to take into account these, uh, some, these more recent changes? Uh, so one very immediate question is, should the flat rate benefit be, uh, be spared uh, in the budget? And as I said before, so it's hard to begrudge the, the, the pensioners the, the, the increases that they've had, uh, but it seems uh, to me a uh, very strange sort of policy uh, indeed to have sort of these large unintended uh, real increases uh, in, in the middle of, of the crisis. Now, the, the word coming out is that uh, pensions will be spared, and uh, uh, given the, uh, 
the response uh, to uh, the over 70 medical card issue, you can kind of see where the, uh, uh, the government is coming from, from a pure political point of view, uh, but uh, it, it does seem to be uh, sort of very strange policy uh, to have uh, uh, the, the real value sort of driven uh, by these uh, uh, unanticipated uh, uh, changes in the inflation rate. The second aspect really gets to this sort of long-term uh, constraint. And again, this is something that Colin talked a lot about uh, in his presentation uh, a few months back. Um, and I think there is really now sort of no getting away uh, from the fact that, the, that this long-term fiscal constraint needs to be eased. And the, uh, given that the sort of the pre-funding strategy uh, has turned out not to be uh, uh, particularly uh, uh, effective, uh, given what's happened to the National Pension Reserve Fund, uh, there's probably sort of no choice uh, but to seriously think about uh, sort of indexing uh, benefits uh, to longevity. There's going to be substantial sort of increases uh, in longevity uh, over the next number of decades. Uh, it looks sort of at, at age 65, sort of an additional sort of six years or so for, for men uh, by, by mid-century, uh, for example. Um, so uh, retirements are going to get longer. Uh, uh, retirements have to be paid for uh, in some, in, 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 uh, or our, uh, uh, lifespans are going to get longer. Retirement's going to have to be paid uh, for in some way. And in one way, uh, I think that inevitably they're going to have to be paid for uh, will be the people actually working longer. So then I want to, as, uh, in terms of sort of, uh, as sort of a new uh, uh, policy suggestion, uh, I want to focus uh, sort of on the third element, which is sort of increasing savings. Uh, and I think sort of circa 2007, there was a very strong argument uh, for really sort of redesigning pension policy uh, to increase savings. Uh, but now we are in the midst of a recession. Uh, uh, it's very much, I think, a demand uh, deficiency uh, uh, type recession, as we heard from the David Francois in particular uh, in the earlier session. Uh, so in a sense, savings has now uh, become the enemy. Um, um, and of course, eventually this crisis will pass, but it could be uh, sustained for a long uh, period, or it could be for sort of a number of years. Uh, so sort of pushing a policy now designed to increase savings uh, could be uh, very uh, counterproductive. Uh, so uh, I think that is the, the other sort of big change uh, to the overall pensions reform debate, and maybe one of the things that's led to uh, the delay of the, publish, the publication of the white paper on pensions policy. But having said all that, the thing that we started with and that was the inadequacy of pensions, uh, that really has not gone away. Uh, so there is still need to sort of improve uh, people's uh, pension provision uh, uh, for retirement. So at the moment, the flat rate benefit is just not adequate for many workers, uh, particularly if they are above uh, average earnings. Uh, and private pension provision is simply just not cutting it. Uh, there's been sort of movement toward defined uh, contribution pensions, uh, and uh, we know that just many people are just not con contributing enough. So I want to sort of put something, uh, uh, something a little bit different uh, out there in, in terms of uh, uh, the reforms that should be considered. And this is not uh, an innovation uh, 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 due to me. This is uh, something that's been done in other places, and particularly Sweden uh, has been sort of a pioneer uh, in this particular form uh, of pension reform called notional defined contribution. Uh, so, so that ultimately, there are really just sort of three ways that we can 
sort of improve uh, sort of provision for retirement. We can have people work longer, uh, um, and I think that should be done. We should uh, sort of uh, uh, move to index benefits uh, uh, retirement age to longevity. People can save more. Um, we've seen that there are real sort of limitations to that. Uh, or we can really sort of strengthen uh, the, the pay-as-you-go uh, uh, sort of part of the system. Now the problem is that where earnings-related pensions uh, have been used in other places, they've been extremely badly designed. And I think Ireland actually is very fortunate it didn't put in place the kind of earnings-related pensions that other countries uh, have put in place. They've tended to be extremely distortionary in terms of labor supply during people's working life and also uh, seriously distorted people's uh, retirement decisions. Um, and they've also uh, tended to be uh, quite financially sort of unstable, uh, as we've seen uh, even with our own sort of uh, uh, flat pension, that's even uh, uh, more so with the earnings rate of pensions that, that most uh, European countries and more generally across the OECD have put in place. But pay-go-type pensions don't have to have those drawbacks. And the Swedish uh, reform uh, with its notional uh, defined contribution uh, I think very much sort of avoids uh, those drawbacks. So given where we are at the moment, uh, given the, this need uh, for better pension provision, and the problem now uh, with substantial increases in savings, uh, uh, given sort of where we find ourselves uh, sort of in terms of the demand side, I think uh, this type of reform is now uh, worth a look. Uh, so just to sort of place the notional defined contribution uh, in terms of various types of pension system, uh, here we have a little matrix that distinguishes on the one hand between whether the pension is unfunded or funded, and then whether it's a defined benefit or defined uh, contribution pension system. I'm assuming that you're familiar with those terms. So uh, the flat rate pension is, is unfunded and defined benefit. Uh, the occupational uh, pensions that people have uh, are funded and defined benefit. And uh, so private pensions would be uh, funded and defined contribution. So we can think of the notional defined contribution as really fitting into that remaining box. Uh, so, um, uh, so like our flat rate pension, they will indeed be unfunded, uh, but, but very differently uh, from, uh, from uh, most sort of earnings-related uh, uh, state pensions, uh, they will be uh, defined contributions. So let me just uh, say a little bit more about how it will work. How are we doing time on this one? Another couple minutes. Couple minutes, okay. Uh, so how it might work. Uh, so Sweden uh, currently actually for notional defined contribution has a 16% contribution rate, so I'm not talking about something uh, quite as ambitious as that. Uh, but let's say uh, it, the contribution rate was set at 6%. Uh, also assume that the base uh, um, uh, that, that this contribution rate applied to is uh, sort of all earnings, uh, just take as a nice round number, to be 50% of GDP. So this would raise sort of roughly 3% uh, of GDP. Now, what really distinguishes this type of pension uh, from some standard earnings-related pensions is that people have individual accounts uh, set up for them, uh, that they receive, they receive regular statements. So when they make contributions, they're credited to their account, and they're basically uh, sort of get regular updates of, uh, of the balances in these accounts. Now, these accounts are in what's called a notional uh, rate of return based on growth in the wage growth. So this is also sometimes called sort of non-financial defined contribution. So rather than actually having investments being made, sort of, uh, uh, standard model of savings and financial investments, um, there's this sort of notional rate of return uh, based uh, on the growth of the wage growth. Now there are, there are certain sort of complexities to make sure this all balances out, uh, but Sweden has shown sort of uh, relatively manageable 
uh, adjustment procedures going to be put in place uh, to make sure that the system is financially stable over time, so that on an ongoing basis, uh, the flows of contributions are sort of sufficient to pay uh, the pensions of those uh, retiring, uh, based on what they're, they're, they're due, um, uh, given their contribution records and uh, this notional rate of return uh, based on the wage rate. And actually, at retirement, then your balance is annuitized uh, based uh, on uh, life expectancy uh, at the uh, at the time of retirement. So there's lots of sort of nickel details uh, to this in terms of whether you have joint or single life uh, sort of annuities, uh, what you, how you uh, deal with the uh, sort of periods outside the workforce. So I don't want to sort of underestimate uh, many of the, the uh, design challenges here, but Sweden really has shown that it can be done. Uh, there's a lot of sort of international expertise on this. The World Bank has been working on it, and a number of other countries have adopted it as well. So there is really a model, uh, 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 sort of an off-the-shelf model, uh, that we can use uh, or uh, sort of adapt uh, to uh, our particular circumstances. Now, what are the advantages of this? Uh, so first of all, since when you make uh, contributions, you are you're getting essentially an asset in return. Uh, so your contributions are, uh, don't really reduce uh, lifetime wealth, simplifying a little bit. Uh, but for that reason, uh, the contributions that you make should have a much uh, smaller impact uh, on uh, sort of current consumption because they're essentially increasing your lifetime wealth. And also, I think, because one of the things that's making people sort of save more as they try to rebuild their balance sheets uh, following big falls in, in, in asset prices increased uh, uncertainty generally, uh, you know, one of the things that people are concerned about uh, is their retirements. Uh, so putting this in place also sort of generally increases confidence, uh, which should make people uh, sort of more willing to concern. Secondly, because this is a very strong link between taxes paid and benefits received, this is not like a tax uh, in the way, for instance, the uh, uh, PRSI employee uh, contribution is very much considered a tax at the moment because you pay more in contributions, you don't receive anything in terms of additional benefits. So in terms of these sort of labor supply distortions, it's, it's, it's very different uh, from standard uh, defined benefit state uh, pension uh, plans. Also, it's sort of set up to, not to distort the uh, retirement decisions themselves, uh, that is in terms of when you retire. Uh, one of the things that we've seen is how risky um, uh, funded pensions are. So this system has relatively low risk uh, compared with financial investments. And very importantly, this is sort of the link uh, really in the way to the second paper, uh, there would be immediate flow uh, of revenue to the exchequer. So at the moment, uh, there's great concerns about uh, uh, how Ireland sort of funds its budget deficit over the next number of years. Uh, so based on the model that I've laid out here, there would be an immediate flow uh, of 3% of GDP. So you can think of it as sort of almost another form of borrowing. Uh, you are making commitments uh, to, to, to pay back money to people uh, in their retirement, but the system won't mature really for, uh, for, for, for many years. So there'll be a long-lasting flow that's sort of diminishing over time to the exchequer, uh, allowing the possibility to, uh, uh, to have more time to, uh, to, to widen the tax base, for instance, uh, following the suggestions of the Commission on Taxation. Uh, 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 just taking that sort of as an example, the, the basic point is that it sort of buys you uh, 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 a certain uh, amount of time. So it also has sort of advantages from a fiscal point of view. Now, there are, I want to, uh, uh, make it sound that there are no sort of problems with this. Uh, the revenue windfall itself uh, sort of gradually disappears over time, but it is uh, quite long-lasting, and there are, it sort of just gives the economy uh, 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 just 
uh, more freedom of maneuver uh, in, in, in adjusting uh, to its current fiscal crisis. Uh, another problem is that it is unfunded, so even though savings are the enemy at the moment, they won't be the enemy forever. Uh, so uh, the fact that this replaces sort of maybe a sort of a mandatory savings program uh, that would have increased national savings. Uh, so there is sort of, I think, a sort of real cost there. And to the extent that the return on financial investments uh, will be higher than the, uh, the growth of the wage bill in the economy, there is uh, a, a lower expected rate of return, but also sort of much uh, sort of lower risk. Uh, so there's a lot more that can be said about the advantages and disadvantages. Uh, but uh, just sort of by way of summing up, uh, it's easy to dismiss uh, something new. Uh, and after the whole NAMA debate, uh, there's certainly sort of fatigue about sort of grand uh, social engineering of these sort of complex uh, sounding programs. Uh, but I think it must be remembered as we sort of uh, think uh, about this as a potential policy option uh, that we do face a set of flawed options. There is still that problem of inadequacy, uh, there's the problem uh, of uh, these sort of severe sort of uh, financial constraints that, 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 that we face uh, with the current uh, uh, flat rate benefit. Uh, and there is a, the, uh, the fact that uh, uh, savings really uh, are not where uh, uh, we want to be uh, at the moment. Uh, so something that uh, sort of deals with the adequacy problem, uh, while at the same time uh, sort of not drawing uh, a sort of demand out of the economy, uh, uh, certainly has advantages. Uh, so, uh, so I leave you with the claim then uh, that I think, in terms of sort of pension reform, as we uh, 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 a debate that I think is bound to sort of heat up uh, uh, soon, uh, that uh, the uh, the NDC and notion of fund contribution uh, stands as well. Thank you. Thanks very much, John, and uh, second speaker is Philip Bang.